Wow. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. It's going to be a beautiful day. Today is going to be awful. Breakfast time! What would you like for breakfast? Nothing to eat. What do you mean? There's cereal? Cereal is awful. Okay, how about I make you some eggs? Eggs are awful. Well then, sounds like somebody can use a cup of coffee. There you go. Okay, I'm ready to go. Car won't start. Well, you know what that means. We get to meet some interesting people on the bus today. Like that. Like what? Oh no. Happy. Oh no. It's a beautiful day outside. We're on our way to work. I guess it's just in how you look at things, you really? know? Just in how you look at things? Yeah. That answer is awful. Oh look, the bus is here. Looks nice and full too. No matter, what. no matter what, you are in the very beginning of a, of a series called The Joy Genome, discovering the DNA, the joy factor. How do you find lasting happiness? Because here's what I know about the world that we live in today, specifically our world here in America, is that we are the most advanced country on planet Earth, the most technologically advanced, the most prosperous, and yet we lead the world in both storage space and antidepressants. That even in the midst of all of our prosperity and even in the midst of everything that God has blessed this nation with, that all the stuff that we have at our fingertips and all the stuff that we have at our disposal that no other generation in the history of the world has ever had, that still in spite of all those things, we are not a very happy people. At least not something with some lasting happiness. We are all about the quick fix and the next thing and needing that and wanting that. And if I only had and one day when I get and this would really, really make me happy. And yet we are, we are sometimes grasping at the air trying to find some joy and happiness in this earth and we've missed it. And I'm going to tell you why over the next four weeks, and I want you to be here for all four weeks, because while today lays the foundation, even if you feel like you've got a little bit of a handle on this one, there's some more things to come, and so don't miss one week, because God actually wants you to have some lasting and fulfilling joy in your life. Everybody shout joy. joy. Now, let, let's real quickly, like, i got to set the definitions for what we're talking about, because what we're not talking about 
is, is happiness based on everything is perfect and everything is just so and God has made everything wonderful and because everything's in its perfect place, well, now, that I, I, now I can be happy. Because what we're going to learn today is that you can actually have joy. Everybody say, no matter what. And, and in the book of Philippians, there, there's this guy named the Apostle Paul who is a Christian missionary in the first century of the church. And he travels city to city to city, establishing churches. And then he would go back and visit them. Sometimes he would write them letters. Sometimes they would send him letters with questions or problems. Sometimes he would send these letters of rebuke, like, y'all need to quit tripping, y'all, it's crazy. And sometimes he would send them, like, just answers to questions that they had about how to do things. But there's this one letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi. We call it the Philippians. It's not the Filipinos. It's the Philippians. It's a totally different part of the world. And and what he does is, is he writes a letter that's pretty unique and different than anything he writes anywhere else. What he makes kind of distinct about this letter is there's not a lot of rebuke and there's really not even a ton of teaching. It's kind of an encouraging letter. And I don't even think he knew exactly what he was writing when he wrote it. But what we discover in this one letter is you'll, you'll discover the DNA of joy that lays throughout this thing. There's just these ideas and concepts to how to find lasting joy. And here's what we mean by lasting joy. Is that with joy, you find a sense of inner peace and satisfaction that comes from inside of you, no matter what is happening outside of you. That's what joy truly is. And that's what you and all I really want. Because how many know life changes, life evolves? I remember when I was single and I thought, well, this is awesome. I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want, as long as I, you know. And then I got married. And I realized that, that changed a little bit. But then I thought, well, this is like a new happy. You know, this is, this is cool. And, but I had to relearn, like, the new happiness of, of being married. And then I started having kids. That's an adjustment period. Because when it was just you and your wife, man, that was easy. That was cool. You know, you, you just... You just did together what you wanted, when you wanted, how you would. But then the kids come into play. And, and, and kids bring a certain level of happiness that you can't even describe in any other way than that's your kids. And that's just, they, they do something to you. But yet there's a lot of other things and struggles and pains that come along with that. And so you've got to readjust. So I'm not talking about just adjusting to life circumstances. I'm talking about carrying joy with you into every circumstance. Not because of what's happening outside of you but because of what God is doing inside of you. That's where joy really comes from. Let's pray as we begin today. Father, God, we pray that you'd speak to us today. God, that no matter what, God, there's some terrible stories going on in this room right now. There's some really painful things, some hard things. There's some people who are in the prime of life and things are all great, things are all good. God, I pray that you'd help adjust them this morning too to get them right into where you want them to be, God. We pray that you would use these words from the book of Philippians to speak to us, to change our mind, to change our future, Lord. God, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Now, here's what you need to know before I read any word from these next few verses that we're going to look at today. And here is how you know that you can have joy no matter what your circumstances are. Because the guy who wrote the book on joy wrote it from inside of a prison cell. This, that's a good indicator that this guy has got his finger on the pulse, like this guy's discovered, because if you can write from inside of prison and say, look, I'm gonna tell you how to live, the most satisfying, fulfilling, at peace, at joy life that you can possibly have, and I'm telling you this as I'm chained to a wall, that guy's got a handle on something. Let's start reading. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter one. 
He's speaking to this group of people. And he goes, now, I, I want you guys to know, brothers and sisters, that's church talk right there, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me is I got thrown into prison, and they're probably going to execute me real soon. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the praetorium, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is one of those guys that's half, half glass full. You know people that they're half glass empty and they always see the negative in every situation. Here's the guy that does the opposite. Hey guys, I'm in prison, but you know what's crazy? Like, like I'm still preaching and, and, and like here, here's, you know, I have like an audience that can't leave. Like, you know, they're, they're stuck with me. They can't get up and walk out if they don't like my sermon. They're just stuck with me. And I'm telling every, of them, every bit of them about the gospel, the grace, the goodness of God. And guess what? I have like a prisoner that's on a four-hour shift or rotate. I just get a new prison guard every four hours. So it's just a rotating people to preach to and talk to and to witness to. He goes, this, this, this is going really good. It's proof that there are certain people who have the ability to look at negative circumstances, negative outcomes, negative situations and say, you know what, I, I'm just believing that God's going to do something great inside of this circumstance. And here's the first ingredient and the first thing that you'll discover about people who have lasting joy is this, is they don't linger on the question why very long. Many of us, when we get into our negative situation, don't we do that? Why, God, why? Por que, Dios, por que? Like if you watch Spanish soap opera, I'm sorry. I don't know any Spanish, that's where I got that from. But be like, why God, why, why? If you, now listen, there's nothing wrong with asking the question why, but if you only linger on the question why, you will probably lose your joy. Because great people who experience lasting satisfaction, fulfillment, and peace and joy in God don't just ask why, they actually move on to ask the question what. Everybody say what. As a matter of fact, they ask the question now what? And that's many times the questions that you have to ask yourself because the Paul is, is proof. Your, your circumstances are not what determine your joy in life. And if your circumstances are going to dictate whether you're a happy person or an unhappy person, a joy-filled person or a depressed person, you are going to be on a roller coaster ride your entire life. And depending on the set of circumstances in life that you were dealt, you might be on a lot, a lot of lows or a lot, a lot of highs, but you're still going to be up and down because joy is not found in your circumstances. But when you take a look at those circumstances and you ask the question, everybody say, now what? Now what? Here's... Here's what you have to do in your circumstance. Now what is God going to do? Now, now what, what are you up to, God? Now, now, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to, to, to do through me in this situation? God, is there something that you've put me in this terrible situation for? Like many times, I, I found that the very reason I was in a bad situation is because God had put me there for someone else. And I would have never willingly gone there on my own. Can I get an amen? You, you'd have never chosen that, but God had reasons beyond your understanding or beyond your ability to see. 
And God, having infinite wisdom and the ability to see and know the future, says, you know what? Sometimes it's just difficult, but you've got to go through this because of what's inside of you or what I want to do in you or what I want to do through you. And so sometimes you have to ask the question, now what? Sometimes your most painful experience becomes the launching pad to your greatest success, and your painful experience becomes the way that you end up healing other people. If we never experienced pain in life, we would have no empathy whatsoever. If we never experienced heartache in life, we would never have compassion. If we never went through anything, it would be hard for us to relate and connect to the plight of other people around us. And so God says, I want you to not just loathe in your pain and ask why, why, why. I want you to say what? What are you wanting to do in me and through me? And that perspective right there will take you, it'll take you pretty far. I read an interesting story not too long ago about a gentleman, and he's still alive, so I won't even give you his full name. His first name is Heen. He's a Vietnamese interpreter. He started out interpreting for the American military back during Vietnam, and then he began to interpret for Christian missionaries and preachers in Vietnam. And they would go through, and he was preaching for all, or or basically interpreting for all these preachers. And, And I'm talking about thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved. But that didn't last forever. Eventually, Vietnam fell, and when it fell, he was imprisoned. He was in prison because they had said, hey, this guy was helping the Americans. And so they threw him in a prison and they, you know, he spoke English and read English and he was a believer and he loved Jesus, but they were convinced they wanted to root this stuff out of him. So what they did was, is they only gave him stuff written in Vietnamese and they basically like did a sort of brainwashing where they drilled into him all these communist propaganda saying that God wasn't real and God wasn't true and the West had deceived you and it was all a big lie. And they just brainwashed him and brainwashed him and brainwashed him till eventually he began to question Well, maybe it all was a lie. Maybe none of it really is real. And maybe it is. And so on the very first day that he was convinced, maybe this wasn't legitimate. Maybe this wasn't real. He got up that morning and decided, this would be the first day that I don't pray. And this will be the first day that I don't think of my faith in God. Sure enough, that day he was put on latrine duty for the prison. He described it as some of the most disgusting and vile stuff he had ever seen or experienced, as you can only imagine. And in going through and cleaning up the latrine from the prison and wading through and cleaning up and taking care of, he found a tin can. And inside of this tin can, he found some paper that he thought had English writing on it. So he looked around, saw no one was looking, and he took it and he put it in his pocket and then went on with his his business. And later that night when his, his cellmates were asleep and weren't looking, he took the paper and unraveled it and unfolded it and began to wash it off and clean it off. And to his surprise, it was English writing from the book of Romans, chapter 8. It says something along the lines of, Now we know that all things work for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. When you read on down just a little bit further, it says, Now we know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. As he reads these words, he begins to weep and he begins to cry and he realizes God, you never have left me. So he decides, he goes back to uh, the person in charge, and he says, actually, I was wondering if you could keep me on latrine duty. And he goes back in to latrine duty day after day after day, and what he had discovered was is there was a certain officer who had found a, a copy of the Bible and was using its pages to wipe himself with. And as he threw it away, he would take every piece of paper that he could. He would take it and clean it and put it with the others and take it and clean it and put it with the others until he basically built himself several chapters from the book of Romans. 
This is where he discovered that, you know what, even in the midst of my circumstances, God has not left me. As a matter of fact, as the story continues, as a side note, he goes and eventually he gets free of prison. They release him from prison. And as he's released from prison, he begins to plot and to plan how they're going to escape from Vietnam. And he gets together about 50 other people that are going to join with him. And they begin to build boats. And they're trying to just absolutely escape this communist regime. And these military officers find him. And they say, hey, we've heard that you're planning escape. Is that true? He goes, oh, no, absolutely not. No, 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 we've heard that you're planning an escape, and no, no, I promise that's not true, and he lies, and he lies, and he, actually, after the officers leave, he feels really, really bad that he lied to them, and he feels convicted, and he says, Lord, I tell you what, if you, if you bring them back into my presence, and they ask me again, I will not lie, and so sure enough, the officers come back the next day when they're supposed to leave, and they ask him the question, are you leaving, are you plotting an escape, are you trying to flee this country, and he said, yes, I am. So what are you going to do, throw me back in prison? They said, no, we actually wanted to go with you. <laughs> the soldiers join up with these 50 other men, and as he tells the story, he actually says that when they were on the water, an incredible storm came, and they would have been capsized and would have been drowned had it not been for the four officers who were incredibly skilled boatsmen, that really they saved their lives. And he's telling this story as he gets out, and he actually lives in Southern California to this day as a businessman and a Actually, I think he's a financial consultant, which I don't know if that's going real great right now. But anyway, here's the reality of the story that even in the midst of a prison that you can find joy, even in the midst of, of a prison you can find God at work in your life, that your circumstances cannot dictate whether or not you have joy in this life. Let's keep reading. The Bible says this as Paul continues. He goes, this is the very next verse, verse number 15. He goes, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and, and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. We don't totally understand the political dynamics that are going on there. We can only kind of speculate what he's talking about there. But he's basically talking about two different people that are preaching and maybe some are for him and some are against him and some have right motives and some have wrong motives. But verse number 18, he makes it really, really clear. But what does it matter? That's the second question that you have to ask yourself. First question is now what? Like now what, God? What are you doing in me and what are you going to do through me and what are you trying to teach me and show me and do in me and what purpose do I have here maybe? But the second question is so what? Isn't that what he asked? He said, so what does it matter? So what? Everybody say, so what? so what? Many of us are depressed people because we look at our circumstances upside down. Most of the time, we need to get really, really good at just saying, so what? Many of us, is like, you know, you got a flat tire. So what? There are much worse things that are going on in the world today. Some people would kill to have your life, and you, are, you have become a miserable wretch of a soul because you got a flat tire. So what? And you can go through and say, well, I hate my boss. So what? Well, thankfully, you got a job. There, there's, there's better ways of looking at all of your life, and many of us need to get really, really good at just saying, so what? It's just not that big of a deal. And here's some of the questions maybe that you follow up with. So what will this matter 100 years from now? Boy, that'll really put something in perspective, won't it? So what does this mean in light of eternity? Really? 
So what is it really that, that is so important about this that takes away from my true priority? So what is it really that big of a deal? But many times we look at our, our circumstances and we just think they're the most horrible thing in the world. So what needs to be the response to so many of those things? I sat down with a young man just the other day. I don't think he's here today. So I don't want to tell his name, but I can say anything I want because he's not here. Um, but he comes into my office and he's kind, of, he's kind of sad and he's kind of depressed and he goes through and I'm like, well, what's going on? What's, so, what's, what's got you hung up right now? And it wasn't awful, but he was just a little bit down about his situation. And he goes on to define his situation for me. And as I sit there and listen to him, I think, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. And at the end of it, I basically come to this conclusion. I'm like, okay, so this is what you're telling me. So you've got some college under your belt and the ability to go back for more. You're 100% debt free. You have a great job. You have great friends. You have a great church. Wow, that really is crappy for you. That is terrible. This is so bad. We should pray for you. And he kind of smirked and laughed because he saw what I was getting at. But from his vantage point, he only saw what he didn't have or what he, what he couldn't get or where he wasn't at quite in life. And he, yet he failed to be grateful for what he did have. And he had so many things going for him. And many times you've got to look at all the negative stuff. And some of them you say, now what? Some of them you say, everybody say, so what? So what? What you, what you hear in Paul's writing is this, and you got to pick up on what he says without what he actually says, is that you can't find joy in your circumstances. Joy comes from God within you. You know what else you can't find? You can't find joy from stuff and from external things and external possessions and material goods. You can't find joy in that stuff. And many of you, we all fall into that trap. This was a guy who was in prison and had nothing except for the clothes that were on his body. He had the most terrible circumstances and he had nothing to his possession, yet he still had joy. Is that joy is not found in stuff. But let's be honest for a moment. How many of you and I have a list of if we could only have these things, then would we would be happy? Amen, girl. Uh, it got real quiet except for her or him, whatever the... But how many of us, let's be honest, many of us say things like this, I'll be happy when, and we have a checklist of like, well, man, if I could just get that position at work or that status or that, some of us that are single, we have like, if I could just get that relationship, like, you know, you're just longing to have that one person or that one girl, or that one guy or that, again, sometimes it's a material possession. Many of you, you, you ladies are like, if I could just have this or guys, if I could just drive that or if I could just be there, or if I could just live there, or if I could just, and we have all these things and I'm just, Paul's pleading with you today. It ain't in there. You're not going to find it. As a matter of fact, you might be the most disappointed person in the world because the di most disappointed people in the world who are people who set themselves up that think, if only I could, and then when they get it and it doesn't deliver, they're the most depressed people on earth because what they had set their heart's attention to and focus to, this is the problem with the world. It promises so much and yet it delivers so little. You can't find it in the things and the stuff and the outside and the material. It's not in there. But as long as you keep pursuing those things, you're going to be a unhappy and disappointed and depressed person. It, listen, it, if having lots of stuff was the true ingredient for joy, the happiest people on planet Earth would be people that have, have reached incredible amounts of wealth. Celebrities, sports athletes, millionaires, billionaires, people who win the lottery. I mean, come on. If there's any proof that that's not true, it's in lottery winners. They all end up, not all, most of them end up, the vast majority end up depressed, bankrupt, divorced, and incredibly unsatisfied in life. It's not in the stuff. I'll prove it to you. There's a, there's a fascinating 
take from the book of Ecclesiastes that I want to read for you. Solomon says these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Listen to what he says. He says, I said to myself, because we all talk to ourselves, right? So I was talking to myself, and I said, you know what? I'm going to test myself with pleasure and find out what is good. This is what Solomon did. I'm going to actually taste everything. I'm going to put my hands on everything. I'm going to try everything. I'm going to experience everything and see what actually works. But he says, this also proved to be meaningless. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves to flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had their slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Listen to these words. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Boy, that's the life, isn't it? Pure, just hell-bent on pleasure. I'm going to get mine. Listen to what he says. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Ecclesiastes was written at the end of Solomon's life as a reflection back on a man who had, at some portions of his life, done it right and others done it wrong. And he looked back at all of the pursuit of pleasure and experiences and material things. He said, you know what? He goes, it was vanity. It was meaningless. It was chasing after the wind. And he shows there is no joy in external things. That's not where joy comes from. But rather joy comes from within. I'm going to define it in just a moment. What's interesting about Solomon is that, is that he wrote this. Now, what's, what's interesting is, is that right next to it in the, in, the, in the pages of Scripture is the book of Job, a man who in, experienced incredible, incredible amounts of pain, and yet you never hear those words come out of his mouth. It's the one who experienced the most gratification of pleasure that says this thing. It was G.K. Chesterton, the, the, the philosopher and Christian apologist, who said this. He said basically, and I'll quote it for you, he goes, meaningless does not come from being weary of pain, but rather it comes from being weary with pleasure. That in the pursuit of all this stuff, we find an emptiness. It's not in there. Now, am I saying you forsake everything and go live like a monk in the hills and just, no, 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 no. But you've got to realize and rearrange your brain and renew your mind and reset your heart to say, I cannot find happiness in those things and I will not find happiness in that stuff. I won't even find happiness in a perfect set of circumstances because you know what? We don't even know what perfect circumstances are. The very things that we would line up for ourselves that we think would be so great would probably be the thing to destroy us. But when we trust in a loving God who sets our times and seasons and puts us in places, if we'll ask the question, what, God, what are you doing now? Let's keep reading. We're going to find it. Paul defines it here in verse number 20 on down. In Philippians, as he continues, he's already defined that it's not in circumstances, it's not in petty issues, it's not that, that those things can't steal your joy. He goes, I eagerly expect and hope 
that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is him saying, I know I'm in prison. They're probably gonna execute me. I'm just praying that God gives me the strength to get through this and I'm good whether I live or whether I die. For to me, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. Look at what he's torn between. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is incredible, by the way. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So this is what Paul says. Paul says, you're never going to find joy in perfect circumstances, and you're never going to find joy in losing it to the petty things of life. I'm going to tell you where true joy comes from. It's the pursuit of two great pleasures that are worth chasing and worth following after. He says this, I'm torn. I've got two things going for me that incredibly satisfy the hunger of my soul. Number one is this, is I'm torn between staying here and continuing in the purpose and plan that God has laid out for me, but I'm also torn between being in the presence of God. These are the two great pleasures of life that produce sustaining and lasting joy, and they're the only ones that satisfy. He says there's two things. I, I, I'm torn. I really love them both. I'm torn because I really know that I should stay here and do the work, and every, the kingdom is advancing. It'd be better for you. I mean, people are getting saved in prison. This is all good, and I know I probably should stay, but man, I'm so torn because I want to be with God. I want to be in the presence of Jesus. And it's the tearing of these two pleasures that drives or that satisfies or that becomes the meaningfulness of life. If you're taking notes, this is what I really want you to take away. And, and if you really wanted to know and you came here today just to find out how you find joy, this is the, this is the foundation of it right here. There, there's, there's more. We'll add to it. But this is the foundation of it. And you cannot escape these, these two things. Is that true joy is found in the pleasures of the purpose and the presence of God. There are the only two things that satisfy your heart. And you actually need them both. Because if all you do is pursue the presence, the presence, the presence, the presence of God, you'll miss out on what he actually wants to do in your life. But if all you try to do is do, 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 then you miss the moment when you get to just sit in his presence. I'm telling you, it's the combination of both. And it is not in your circumstances, and it is not in the accumulation of stuff, and it's not giving everything your heart's desire. That those things will, at the end of the day, be you chasing after the wind. But if you really wanted to know what would satisfy the hunger of your soul and give you lasting joy, it is you finding pleasure in God's purpose and in God's presence. Everything other than that will come up short. Everything other than that will eventually fade. The satisfaction will be temporary at best. There's this story. C.S. Lewis, who's probably the most quoted Christian author of the last 50 years, um, he's got a number of, of, of fantastic books. He has a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a, a really, really odd, interesting take. It's, in essence, a book about a senior demon coaching and teaching a junior demon in how to deceive followers of Jesus. In it, he basically lays out the ways that the enemy plots and plans to, to attack and destroy your life. But in, in doing so, there's a unique story where the junior demon had set his assignment on a, on a particular man. And in trying to convert him, as they would say it, he failed. And when he went back to his senior officer, he went back and described the scenario and said, hey, I failed. I just couldn't get this guy. I couldn't get him to turn. I couldn't get him to turn away from the enemy, as, the, as God is called in the book. 
And he goes, well, tell me what happened. Tell me what went wrong. He goes, every morning the man would get up for a walk. And when the man would go for a walk, the enemy would talk to him. And not only that, every night when he went to bed, he would read. And he would read the pages of Scripture. And he would read great books. And God, or the enemy, would talk to him. And the, the senior demon says, well, you just screwed it all up. You did it all wrong. If you're going to let him go for a walk, try to convince him that it's for physical activity or exercise, then he'll loathe it eventually and not want to go. If he's going to read, make him feel like he's reading for information so he can tell other people what he's learned, but don't make it about hearing from the enemy. He said you lost him because you allowed him to take pleasure in walking and talking to God. You allowed him to take pleasure in reading and hearing the voice of God. And in that, you lost him. You find true and ultimate satisfaction from the purpose and the presence of God. And anything other than that always seems to come up short and seems to disappoint. Here's the questions I want to leave for you today. What circumstances are you in now that are stealing your joy? Think about it. Probably not all of your life is hell. I mean, you probably got one or two places where you're like, man, this is awful. This is what, what are the circumstances that are stealing your joy. And how can you reroute those circumstances and begin to ask the question, what, God? What now are you going to do? What are you trying to teach me? What are you going to do in me and through me? Second question is this. Is, do I let the little insignificant things steal my joy? What are the little things that just drive me crazy, get me mad? Is it when that person cuts you off in traffic and it just infuriates you? And you've lost it. You've gone nuts. You've gone B-A-N-A-N-A-S over a bad driver. They don't know you. That wasn't personal, but you've lost your joy. What are the little things that steal your joy? Here's a big question. Am I living in God's plan and purpose for my life? See, I mean, ultimately, you got to ask yourself this question. If I only find joy from the presence and purpose of God, what is God's purpose for my life, and am I living in it? And if the answer is no, you're always going to be left unsatisfied. Finding out and discovering and pursuing God's purpose, why he created you, why he designed you, I'm telling you, you'll find lasting joy in that. Last question is this, is do I take delight in knowing and being in the presence of God? Do I take delight in knowing and being in the presence of God? I'm telling you, when you begin to answer those questions, when you begin to challenge your heart with those questions, you will be on a journey to lasting joy. Let's pray this morning. God, we are a people that are clearly thirsty. We are clearly a people who are desperate. We are missing something. We can tell when we look at inside of ourselves, when we watch the news, when we look at the world around us, that something is not right. That something is, is misplaced. Something is missing. Something is out of order. There's something not right in us and not right in the world. And God, we recognize today that God, we need to put you back into our hearts, into our lives. God, we need you. And God, without your purpose and without your presence, God, we're always going to be left wanting. And so Father, I pray that every person here within the sound of my voice, God, would in their heart turn towards you. That in their heart they would turn and ask you to come into their life, God, to invade their life, to show up in their life, God, to begin to change and rearrange and do what it is that you do, God. I pray that in our hearts we would turn towards you. And God, we would hunger and thirst after your presence. 
that God, we would long to be in your purpose and in your plan because in nothing else is there anything that will satisfy us. God, we desperately need you. God, I pray that we would all come to that realization, that we would all come to that awakening. God, we need you. We need your presence. We need your purpose. Outside of that, God, we will always be unsatisfied. I, I think there's, there's maybe a couple people in here who's, who, who need to make kind of a, a practical step. I think there's some in here who say, I need God in my life. I realize that I've been away from him. I've been distant from him. I've been chasing after the wind. I've been pursuing pleasure and all kinds of stuff. I've been looking for happiness and all kinds of other things, and I've missed it. And I realize that today I need to make a step towards God. And if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I know that I need God in my life, then on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air just as a sign between you and God with every head bowed and eye closed. Just between you and God, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me today, God. I need you in my life. I want to know what you planned for me. God, I want to know uh, what your purpose is for my life and I need you in my life. I need your presence. And if that's you today, on the count of three, slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and put your hand up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Chasing after the wind. Pursuing pleasures in everything that is empty. God, we are so thirsty for you. Father, we just pray, God, you saw those hands that went up. God, there's no magic prayer. We just need you. God, I pray over those that, that raise their hand, Lord God. I pray that they'd walk out of this place, and God, that you would begin to alter the way they think and the way they feel, God. That you'd begin to speak to them, that you'd give them strength and courage, Lord God. Help them to make God, the right decision. Some of them need to cut out some things and some people and some places in the, from their life, God, and set their pursuit on you, God. God, we pray over everyone in this room, God, that you would be with us, Lord God. Help us to in you find lasting and fulfilling joy. God, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen.